Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body podcast. And today I've got four questions from the audience. So I'm going to get straight into it because I want to get through all four. So let's see how we go. So question number one, I've been eating carnivore for the past two months and I've dropped 15 pounds. Over the past three weeks, however, I've hit a plateau with my fat loss. I lift weights three times per week. Any suggestions? So first of all, congratulations on losing 15 pounds over the last two months. And obviously with diet, it's different from person to person. But what I would say is carnivore, it doesn't surprise me that you've dropped weight because it's very hard to overeat when you're having that much protein and you're eating uh, primarily just meat. But what I would, what advice I would give you on this is, firstly, when you hit a plateau, so let's just say, so two months, so five weeks you were losing fat and for the last three weeks you've hit a plateau. The first thing I'd like to touch on is fat loss is never linear. So when it comes to fat loss, it doesn't happen in a straight line. It's up and down. You may, for up to three weeks, not lose any weight. You know, I'd say three weeks max. I've had this with clients in the past where they weren't losing weight on the scales, but they were still getting leaner. So you need to make sure you're tracking it properly in terms of your fat loss. But if this individual, I'm not, I haven't got that much information, but if you have been tracking fat loss and you're noticing like with measurements and clothes and how you're looking in photos and you're just not getting leaner, because the difference between weight loss and getting leaner, right? They're different things then these are the things I'd suggest, right? So number one, it could be a case of you need to increase your calories. So what happens is you've been in a calorie deficit, you've been restricting calories, not really necessarily consciously, right? You've just been eating carnivore. And as a result of that, you've been burning more calories than what you've been eating. And what happens then is over a period of time, your metabolism slows down, so your metabolism adapts. So if you stay in a calorie deficit and you stay on low calories, the metabolism adapts because all the body gives a shit about is keeping you alive, right? So the metabolism effectively slows down and your maintenance calories reduce. In other words, you can't get away with as many calories, which means you have to keep reducing. There's two things you can do. You can keep reducing calories and restricting and restricting and restricting, but then that is not sustainable, right? How low can you go with calories? You'll get to a point where you just can't go any lower, right? And it's not sustainable. So- if you definitely, I want to make this clear to everyone listening and to this person asking the question, if it's definitely fat you're not losing, you're not just talking about the number on the scales, you're actually looking at metrics other than the scales, then I would say to increase calories to kickstart the fat loss. Now, I don't just mean start eating more calories for the sake of it and just randomly adding in random foods, doing it strategically. So the likelihood is if you, I don't know how much protein this person is having, but if you increase calories and, and types of calories I mean is protein, so try and boost protein levels up higher, right? So maybe eating a little bit more meat or maybe an extra two eggs a day, for example, if you're eating carnivore, something simple, simple like that, then that would potentially boost your metabolism, right? Because your body has to burn more calories when you have more protein. That being said, though, that alone, even if it does work, it's not going to be something that's going to work long term, of course. What I would say, this is and or, the second point is training methods, I know you said you're lifting weights three times per week, but the likelihood it is you need to probably do a combination of these things. Increase pro increase calories by adding more protein and fats. In other words, a little bit more meat and an extra couple of eggs or whatever, because eggs and beef especially contain fat and protein. Uh, but obviously, like I've said before, the most nutrient-dense foods you can eat and a good balance of fats and everything else generally. So if you do that, you increase the protein and fats. So you're not just eating more sugar, for example, you're eating more protein and fats. In other words, just for an example for the audience, eggs and meat. If you're not carnivore, anyone listening back, it could just be a little bit more avocado or 
you know, eggs, it could be a little bit more olive oil, whatever, if you're having super high protein. Um, but when you increase protein a lot, it's, it's quite hard to eat too much protein, to be honest. So if you do that and combine that with switching up your training. So I haven't got any detail on what type of training you're doing, but, you know, if you're just lifting weights three times per week, then perhaps either one, you need to add more volume. So maybe, you know, add in an extra session. So you're adding more volume throughout the week. So you're doing four sessions a week. If three sessions a week works for you and you can't add any more in, that's fine as well, because the likelihood is you need to train the change the type of training you're doing anyway. So I would say if you're not doing this already, rather than just doing your own workouts, follow a proper training programming or simply throw a curveball by changing up the type of strength training you're doing. So what I mean by that is simply changing up the rep range. So if you're someone, you know, who's doing eight to 10 reps, then switch the rep range to lower and focus on strength. So go for anywhere between, you know, one to six reps and focus on lifting hard and heavy for say four to six weeks um, and, and focus on strength gains. And what will happen then is you'll build muscle, you'll speed your metabolism up and providing you're doing it right with the nutrition, like I just mentioned then, and you're having really high protein. Because again, I haven't got details on what this person is eating specifically, even though they said carnivore, then what's going to happen with this new switch up with training with the rep range and the type of stimulus is you're throwing a curveball. And then what happens then is your metabolism elevates and speeds up because it's an it's essentially a new stress for the body to adapt to. Okay. And that would likely stimulate fat loss uh, and get you out of that plateau. So one, increasing calories, two, and or, right, doing both of these things. Give you an example. What I do with a lot of clients is every time we switch up the training phase, and this depends on the client, but let's just say every four weeks, what I'll then do is I'll increase calories, for example, right? Bump protein up, bump uh, protein and fats up. It depends on the person. And then what happens is as they do this new training phase, the metabolism speeds up. You feed the body more protein and calories. And it depends where they're at in their journey. If they're at the start of their journey, especially by increasing calories and increasing protein, especially, they then actually lose more fat as well. Um, and they get significantly stronger by increasing calories, right? Which almost seems counterproductive to what we hear. So it is going to depend. The answer is always going to be it depends on the individual. Um, but I would say, you know, do those those two things with training and increasing calories, or at least one of the two. Um, I would say the two of them are going to be optimal, to be honest, rather than just doing one of those things. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing then is stress. Okay, so if you've actually stopped losing fat, you know, what's going to happen is if you've got too much stress coming in, so, you know, this is an example. I've used the bathtub analogy before, but you've got a bathtub, you fill it up with water and you just, let's just say you leave the taps running, it overflows. Look at that as your, let's just say stress bucket instead, right? Your stress bucket, you've got a bucket with water, you've got a tap on the side to let the water out, right? Let's say you turn that tap off so there's no water coming out of the side of the bucket and it just keeps filling up and filling up, it's going to overflow. That's what happens with stress and fat loss. So if you are you know training three times a week you're training hard let's say you have been in a calorie deficit because that's an added stress on the body and let's just add all the other elements of stress that come with life whether that be work stress working long hours or having stressful stuff going on in work uh not getting enough sleep is gonna be the worst thing for adding stress and reducing your body's ability to recover and lose fat and then what happens with these uh, you know it could be relationship stress whatever what happens then is your cortisol levels uh, spike and increase and there's loads of research to show elevated cortisol levels, especially in females. Uh, you know, it is a huge correlation between that and fat gain or fat storage, especially around the midsection, um, particularly for women. So I know this person writing the question was a female. So look at those three things, you know, uh, increasing calories, especially protein, 
switching up the training, but doing it properly and strategically. So it's a proper program, not just guessing. And then looking at your stress levels and basically finding better ways to manage your stress and just make sure your bathtub's not overflowing. Because essentially, if you're training really, really hard, and you've got too much going on outside of the gym, you may need to scale back the amount of training you're doing in the gym, for example, right? So monitoring the stress and actually having the right dose of stress, you're never going to get the perfect amount, is key when it comes to fat loss. So number two is someone message saying, I lose, let's see, I've lost motivation because I struggle to detach from the number on the scales in terms of the weighing scales. What I tend to do is I'll eat to make myself feel better in other words, emotional eating, when I don't lose weight, or even sometimes if I gain a little bit of weight, I feel worse. And then I turn the food to escape a lot of the times, or even a few glasses of wine. I've now removed the scales from my house. I put them in the loft, but I keep getting the urge to weigh myself. Um, any suggestions? Yeah. So the first suggestion is, is pretty simple, right? Don't have any weighing scales in the house. In your case, not even in the loft. I would just put them in the bin, to be honest, in your case, if you have these this really poor relationship with the scales. And obviously it's being counterproductive, right? Because you're actually eating more and consuming more calories because of that number on the scales, because of the attachment you have to it. So that's the number one thing is obviously on a tactical level, no weighing yourself at all, right? Uh, I know it's easier said than done. You might get the urge to weigh yourself and that's going to be a little tiny bit of a issue you have and you have to kind of overcome in terms of discipline. Uh, but just to give you an example with me and some of my clients, I used to have the same struggle, especially when I used to compete. I used to weigh myself every single day when I would get on stage because it was necessary. But then that habit stayed with me and I couldn't break free of it. So I'd be weighing myself pretty much every day. I would get a little bit, I, even though I knew better, I knew, okay, I've gained, you know, five pounds today. I knew that was because I'd eaten more carbs and had more salt or eaten out the day before, but it would still piss me off and I would still get anxious and I wouldn't turn to food, but I would just it would just mess my day up, to be honest. So I can relate to it on a personal level. Uh, I've had lots of clients ban themselves from weighing themselves. So what I do with those clients is I keep the weighing scales out of the house and we track other metrics. Now, it really depends on the client. If I'm speaking to you in particular, this, this is actually a, a guy who asked this question, right? So just for the audience, it's not just a female struggle. This happens with guys as well. So this is actually a guy, just so everyone knows, asking the question. Um, what I would say with you is to not focus on the physique stuff at all. With what you've mentioned here, in most cases, I would say don't even do, like I would ban this particular client, for example, from doing photos, measurements, or anything which tracks physical progress, anything at all. I would literally ban them from doing that. And what I would then do is I would um, hammer home other metrics relating to health and performance. So for example, just to give you an example, what I've done with some clients, because sleep is obviously the most important thing. People have had issues with weighing themselves, major body dysmorphia, sorry, major body dysmorphia and body, body image issues. What I would say is, right, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you this four-week sleep tracker. And I, this might sound a bit like, what, what's this guy talking about? Hear me out, right? I would get them to use this sleep tracker that we have within our tribe. It's like a four-week sleep tracker, and it's just literally pen and paper. And I would get them to focus on sleep and track for four weeks metrics, which are going to help them um, improve their sleep quality and become more aware of what has a negative impact on sleep quality and everything else. Just this basic tracker we use, and they use it in the morning when they wake up and in the evening. It takes them like literally four or five minutes a day. And what it does every time is it actually helps them improve sleep. And then when they improve their sleep quality and they understand why they might have been getting uh, 
uh, disrupted sleep or they were waking up, run down, not recovering properly, then that has a massive knock-on effect straight away with decisions with food, with how they recover in the gym and results in general. So I would that's just an example, but I would say for this individual, for this man, Marcus, his name is, so shout out to Marcus. Um, Marcus, I would say to focus on performance and health over everything, okay? So paying attention to sleep, setting performance-based goals. I say this all the time, but what I would do with this particular client is I would say, right, let's focus on very specific metrics relating to your performance in the gym. For example, pull-ups, right? How about you've never done a pull-up before, right? And we're going to focus on you being able to do a pull-up in X amount of time, a bodyweight pull-up. This is what we're going to do to achieve that. We're going to do pull-ups X times per week, band-assisted pull-ups, for example, right? And this is going to be part of your program. So let's focus on that. I want you to get stronger every session. Number two is squats. Okay, for example, you know, you've squatted your body weight before. That's great. We're going to aim to squat, you know, double your body weight within the next three months, right? And this is what we're going to do to achieve that. So these are all just examples. Uh, but having a proper program to follow and this comes back to the same thing I was saying and tracking the metrics like I do with my clients. So we leave nothing to chance and we track all the volume. Everything's done in the app. We can see exactly where they're at, clear cuts, how much more weight have they lifted, the exact amount of volume they lifted each session. Um, and are they getting better at the movement as well? Like the skill of each movement, technique, are they improving on that, right? So they're the three, three kind of main metrics for progressive overload. And what happens then is guess what? When you're overloading the body, right? In other words, adding volume, like I just say, and you're tracking that, number one, you pay attention to that diligently and you're not focusing then on the physical and the weighing scales, right? Um, and then guess what happens? They look way better as a result of that because to get stronger and, and to overload the body, like I said, you have to get good sleep. You have to be eating quite well to, in order to achieve that. And you have to be tracking the metrics to make sure you're making progress. Otherwise, you're just guessing, right? And that switches the mindset away from the scales, away from the physical progress, and then into that performance. And then they look better as a byproduct, and they start noticing their clothes. And that's a really simple metric, right, when it comes to fat loss. You know, I'm fitting into clothes I haven't fitted into. To and, and it's fantastic when someone gets that as the side effect because then they've gone, oh, wow, they've had this massive lesson and – wake up call where they go, right, you know what? If I focus on health and I focus on my performance, then I switch the attention away from that stuff and I look better as a byproduct, right? And that really changes people's relationship with, um, well, training a bit, uh, the relationship with the scales, and then as a side effect with um, eating. And that takes me on to my next point is address the root markers. You need to address the root cause of these emotional eating problems, right? So, this is just a symptom, right? So you're getting on the scales. You're not liking what you're seeing for whatever reason. Like I know you said, when your weight goes up or stays the same, you'll sometimes get pissed off and turn to food, right? To make you feel better. Now you got to look at the root cause, right? Number one, why are you so attached to that number on the scales? Because I can bet that you have had these kind of struggles like I did and a lot of my best clients did with other areas of your life. This is almost a form of perfectionism, right? And then- Everyone has a different self-sabotage superpower. And, you know, perfectionism is one of them, right? So you might go, mm, fuck, damn, I didn't lose exactly two pounds this week. And then because you then feel like, fuck it, for lack of better words, and you hit that off button, and then you just turn the food to make you feel better, right? So that all or nothing mentality and, and trying to be perfect, uh, there's no such thing as being perfect. I've mentioned this before. 
Um, the biggest problem, struggle for my clients was perfectionism. We actually had a therapist come on to do a talk on this, to actually educate us on this. So it's a very common problem in type A personalities and that kind of stuff. And then the knock-on effect of that is emotional eating. So you got to look at the root cause, right? Why am I getting so attached to the number on the scales, right? Is it because I want to be perfect with everything? Is it because I had issues as a kid? I was overweight as a kid. I haven't got this information on you, see, Marcus. It could have been you were overweight as a kid right? And you have self-worth issues. So then you attach your self-worth or self-esteem to that number on the scales. Uh, it could just simply be your relationship with food needs work, right? Which obviously we all need to work on that anyway. But is there other uh, reasons which are causing you to overeat? Is that something you're struggling with in general? Am I turning to food when I'm bored, when I'm stressed, when I'm tired, when I'm uh, feeling angry, when I'm feeling lonely? Or is it literally just happening when you jump on the scales. So you've got to address the root cause of that eating issue. And you've got to have that awareness, right? To understand why you're eating those foods and how those foods make you feel, right? And I mentioned this on the last podcast about emotional eating, uh, about emotional health. So if you haven't listened to that, I would listen to that. Anyone listening back to this? Because I go deeper on these things. Um, so yeah, that kind of answers that question. Um, obviously, I'm always going to need so much information to give a specific answer to this individual. Um, so I have to just basically give information based on wisdom, based on the information I've got. And obviously, a lot of this is based on research as well. Uh, in fact, research does show, like I said on a previous podcast, when it comes to sustainable weight loss, um, the biggest issue which makes people gain the weight back is getting to attach to the number on the scales, losing motivation, and then turning to food uh, to escape. That's actually been proven in research as well. So number three, third question is, I'm building a business. I wanted to choose this question, ladies and gents, right? Because obviously I built a business myself and I know what it takes. Um, and also I know how tough it can be balancing your self-care with your business and also with your relationship if you've got one with your partner, right? So this question is another guy. <clears throat> Shout out to Steve. I'm building a business and I've let my self-care slip. I've been, prior to this, I've been training for nine months consistently in the gym, lifting weights, I can't seem to motivate myself to get going again. My business is growing and it's going well. However, I haven't picked up a weight in over a month. How do I get my motivation back? I think this is a great question. Um, but first of all, what I'd like to say to Stephen is what you've got to look at is it's only a matter of time before you burn out, right? I'm just going to say it how it is. Because even if it's not, it, it could be, you, you could last a year like this, potentially even longer. It might be a few months, but let me tell you now, right? When it comes to building a business, right? It's very common. It happens most of the time that unfortunately most of us do um, hit burnout, not even building a business. Forget about building a business. Anyone working uh, long hours and anyone working hard, right? You sometimes hit burnout because you, you, you work in ridiculous hours. Um, you're more stressed and you're trying to juggle your life with your kids or your relationship with your partner and everything else. And going back to what I said with the bathtub overflowing, too much stress, the body can't take it. And then you hit burnout, right? And it's only a matter of time before you get there. I've experienced that a few times. Um, all the high-performing people I know, they've experienced, they've experienced burnout several times, right? Um, and basically what I wanted to say is, um, it's only a matter of time before you, get, before you do hit burnout. Now, and as a result of that, you're gonna make less money anyway, Steve, right? To be honest, you're actually gonna make less money by not taking care of yourself. I'll say that again, you will 110% make less money by not taking care of yourself. There's no question about that at all, right? Because if I wasn't taking care of myself, um, I wouldn't be as productive. My mental clarity wouldn't be as good. Your decision-making is not going to be as good, Steve, although you're making progress and congrats on that. Uh, your decision-making is not going to be as good, not as sharp. Your ability to handle stress is going to be lower, 
right? There's all this compound effect. So number one, you got to look at, right, how important is my business to me? Do I want to thrive? Do I want to, um, you know, because over 80% of businesses fail anyway, um, 90%. I think 90% of businesses fail, right? So do you want to be in the minority of people? Because I don't know a single person that I look up to with a successful business or businesses who doesn't take care of themselves. It's just, I just don't know anyone, right? So do you want your business to last the test of time? If you do, then that should be enough motivation for you to get back to the gym, Steve, right? Uh, number two is what I think might be happening with this individual uh, and going back to my previous point is the type A personality or the all or nothing mentality. So you're probably setting unrealistic goals. You probably want to do what you were doing in terms of the amount of workouts in the gym prior to actually starting your business. Well, get what? Guess what, Steve, as you've already gathered because you've made some good progress with this, it takes a lot of sacrifice, right? It takes a lot of sacrifice, like a lot, like literally everything you've got. If you want to be in that minority of people who succeed with this, right, then you can't be doing what everyone else is doing. You've got to be working those long hours at times, right, and sacrificing uh, and putting the work in. So you can't do the amount of frequency you were doing before with training. Like if you were training five times a week before, guess what? That's too much. And then what you're going to be doing in your head is you're going to be probably overwhelming yourself with, oh, you know, if I can't get my five workouts in, let's be honest. I know a lot of people can relate to this. It's like, fuck it again, right? It's the self-sabotage. It's the all or nothing. It's the perfectionism. If I can't hit my five sessions, I'm not going to go at all, right? And that is not good. And we need to get you to switch your mindset and be okay with, do you know what? I'm working 60 hours a week at the moment, 70 hours a week. I can't do five sessions. It's too much for me, right? And especially if you haven't trained for a month, start with two or three sessions, okay? And if you want to be smart with it, again, I don't know what type of training you're doing. I haven't got enough information, but do the full body two or three times per week, moderate intensity, one exercise per body part, all the compound movements. You're going to get great results. You're going to feel great. You're going to boost your testosterone levels, Steve, as well, which is going to make you more motivated. This has been proven. Test High testosterone drives motivation, right? And there's a correlation between testosterone and dopamine as well. Uh, they work synergistically together. So ultimately, this knock-on effect, right? So all that to say, set minimum non-negotiables. This is what I do with clients. We set minimum and maximum non-negotiables, right? What's the minimum? Not always, because some people, they just, they do six sessions a week forever. Some people, it's like brushing their teeth, right? They just do it. They're just savages. Uh, but a lot of people, we need to send, uh, we need to set minimum, right? So let's just say Susie, for lack of a better example of a woman, right? I'm just going to, I haven't got any clients called, actually, I've got one client called Susie. Susie, if you're listening, I'm not talking about you, but let's just say Susie, she's not trained for two months, right, Steve? And for anyone listening, and she comes to me, she's like, right, I've lost my motivation. I've lost my consistency. And then, she, you know, we've had a call and a lot of times people have the call and they're motivated, they're excited, right? Because they've been in a lot of pain and they want to get moving again. And she's like, right, I, I can do, I say, Susie, how many, this happens a lot, right? How many sessions can you do a week? Let's go with five. All right, Susie, let's scale that back a bit, right? Because what we're going to look at is, you know, do you reckon you can do, what do you reckon, Susie, what do you reckon you can sustain forever? Or let's just say, what do you reckon you can sustain for the next year on average workouts per week, right? I, I asked this question and then they'll change their answer. Oof, I look over the space of last year, probably on average, because I was stop start, probably average two or three sessions a week. Fantastic. Susie, let's start off with two sessions then as a bare minimum non-negotiable. All right, three, fantastic. That's a good week. Two is the minimum non-negotiables. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that sounds good. Can you definitely do that, Susie? Easy. Great, let's go. So set 
more realistic goals, my man, right? Uh, finally, then, I just wanted to finish this with motivation. When it comes to motivation, right, I'm not going to go down the whole rabbit hole of this, right, because it's a long story. But long story short, uh, I've said before, right, but motivation is like a, like an orgasm. Remember this little uh, analogy. It's like an orgasm, right? It's a great feeling. But it just doesn't last long enough, all right? It's the same as motivation. I love being motivated. In fact, I'm feeling quite motivated now because I've had a few coffees. And I, whatever it is, dopamine, whatever, I feel quite motivated. And I love this feeling. It's great. And to be honest, I don't always have uh, coffee before training. But this morning I did, and I felt more motivation, and I enjoyed that feeling. It's a great feeling. I enjoy the feeling of an orgasm as well. Who doesn't, right? But it doesn't last, and you cannot rely on it, right? You cannot rely on motivation. You've got to show up and do this shit when you're not motivated. And that comes down to your why. For example, Steve, how important is it to you to build a successful business right? Have a bigger impact on the world and ultimately not just live longer, but add life to your years. Why is that important to you? Write down after listening to this and anyone listening back, you can do this. Write down five whys in terms of why it's important to you to achieve your goal. I want to lose 20 pounds. Why is that important to you? Oh, because I want to fit into my clothes. Why is that important to you? Because I want to feel, get my confidence back. Why is that important to you? Because I don't like having sex with my partner unless the lights are turned off, right? These are just random examples, but this is real shit, right? So make some notes of the whys. And remember that self-discipline is applied. Discipline is doing the stuff regardless of whether you're motivated or not. Motivation is doing stuff you want to do. In fact, I would argue it's actually quite easy to do things when you're motivated, um, but it's discipline is doing the shit regardless of whether you're motivated or not. But at the same time, discipline shouldn't be all doom and gloom. For example, self-discipline needs to be, there needs to be some level of enjoyment taken from self-discipline. I enjoy going to the gym, even though I don't always want to do cartwheels out of bed in the morning when it's dark and cold at 5.30 a.m. However, I do have that drive in my head to go because I get rewarded, whether that's dopamine, endorphins, whatever you want to call it, but I get that reward. So I do it because I get enjoyment from it, essentially, right? So hope that was helpful. Number four, I'm going to try and answer this one quite quick. What's the best? So when I, I get this question a lot, actually, what are the best supplements I can take uh, to overcome high levels of stress and overwhelm? This person asked in particular. Shout out Debbie. Now, this particular woman has asked that. And that was it. It was quite a, like a short question, but I wanted to answer this because I'm going to tell you what the best supplement is now to manage stress. Wait for it. Sleep. Okay. Take this away from the call, right? When people ask you what supplements you take in and everything else, the number one supplement you can take is sleep. Okay. Dial in your sleep routine, get enough sleep, get your seven to nine hours, right? Come away from blue light before bedtime, sleep in a dark room, right? And focus on really good sleep quality. And that is the best supplement you can take, right? That will take care of everything else, essentially, if you can optimize your sleep. Cannot stress that enough. So that's the best supplement. And there's a knock-on from that as well, breath work, right? In terms of supplements, right? Learn how to control your breathing. I will get the supplement soon. Don't worry about this, right? I know you're thinking, yeah, okay, get cut to the chase. What supplements? Breath work, right? This is non-negotiable for me, uh, doing deep breathing before I go to sleep. So I'll do about, you know, literally as low as five minutes and anything up to 10 minutes. I'll lie in bed. I'll do some deep breathing. I'll listen to a podcast. And then what happens is you, you're essentially putting your nervous system into that rest and digest state um, from that fight or flight state. And it forces your heart rate to slow down. And research does show 
that breath work is one of the best things you can do before bed for sleep quality, right? And reducing cortisol levels. Uh, but also coming away from blue light, come away from your phone and laptop a minimum of an hour before bed. For me, that's a bare minimum. I, a lot of the times I hit 75 minutes to 90 minutes before bed with no screens. All right. Um, so sleep's number one. And then on the, as a knock on from the breath work and the sleep, um, supplement stack. So my supplement stack before bedtime is, um, other than breath work, right? I know that's not a supplement, but it kind of is, um, is now I'm going to cycle this. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend, to be honest, taking supplements every single night before bed. You can do it for the most part. But what I like to do is I like to come away from it to see if it actually makes a difference. Because a lot of times it can be placebo. And then we take these supplements. And we're like, oh, I need these. But do you really need them, right? So that's why you've got to pay attention. So at the moment, I've started taking ashwagandha again, right? So when it comes to supplements for stress, the most noticeable benefits I've had from, from stress supplements, number one, is definitely going to be ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is an adaptogenic herb. I've recommended this to quite a few clients. I started taking it myself because my sleep was terrible uh, in the month of May. I was having issues. I had too much stress going on and stuff like that. And this really, really helped. Um, well, Dr. Huberman says not to take it over for longer than like a month. So right now I'm cycling it. I'm taking it for like four weeks. And what it does is it buffers cortisol. So I think it slows down the release of cortisol. And it helps you, you know that you're, it's an adaptogenic herb. So it helps your nervous system adapt to stress better, essentially, long story short. So I take that before bed, ashwagandha. Um, I also take magnesium three and eight in powder form, because allegedly, if you taste the, the powder, then it gets into your system better and it's more absorbable, allegedly. Not sure how much truth there is to that. Uh, and I also take magnesium glycinate as well. Um, which allegedly is the best one for sleep. But magnesium 3 and 8 crosses the blood-brain barrier um, and is really good for bioavailability. Um, but glycinate allegedly is the best one for sleep, although I know it's better benefits from 3 and 8. So I take ashwagandha, magnesium 3 and 8, and magnesium glycinate before bed. Um, then I have the more, most important thing is the bedtime routine though, right? So no phone, breath work, and then sleep. And that's going to be the best way to manage stress is to get good sleep. Um, that's my supplement stack. So maybe you want to experiment with some of those supplements. But the number one thing I would say to wrap this question up is ashwagandha um, for stress management. Uh, try cycling that. If you get under a lot of stress, take the higher dose. Take that for a month every day and you will likely notice a difference. My clients always get a noticeable difference. They notice they feel less stressed, they feel calmer, and they feel better. I notice a big difference, and I think I do notice a difference with sleep as well because I track this. Um, another supplement which has helped for me in the past, although I don't take it at the moment because you can't get it in Australia, good stuff anyway. You have to get it from America, and I couldn't get it shipped here, CBD. So CBD, I used to notice a big difference taking this um, in terms of helping me feel calmer, and helping me feel essentially a bit less anxious, CBD. But again, these things are almost like a Band-Aid approach when you're taking supplements. Look at it that way. You're wrapping a Band-Aid around like uh, a cut, for example. Uh, sorry, around a broken bone, for example. It's, okay, that doesn't really make sense. You know what I'm trying to say? It's not getting to the root cause. So the root cause is going to be, right, what's your sleep like? Are you prioritizing sleep? Why are you stressed, right? And what are you doing to, to manage the amount of water coming into your stress bucket essentially before it overflows, right? So look at those things, but definitely ashwagandha. As I say, CBD's helped before. Supplement stack before bedtime is ashwagandha, magnesium 3 and 8, and magnesium glycinate. All right, ladies and gents, I'm going to wrap this up there. And just before I do wrap this up, I wanted to say, um, as of recording this podcast, uh, someone pulled out of my 90-day program. So at the moment, I've got two spaces left for my 90-day coaching program. 
And yeah, if you look into long story short, if you're looking to get into the shape of your life within the next 90 days, and you've been thinking about working together, because I know a lot of you probably have, uh, but you just haven't pulled the trigger. Now's a huge opportunity for you to take action. And obviously I can't help everyone. So we'll have a chat first, make sure we're a good fit. Um, if I think we are, then we can jump on a call and we can put an action plan together and get after it together. So just simply drop me a DM on Instagram at Martin Silver Fitness. In the show notes, you'll find all my links. Um, click that, drop me a DM with the word info and we'll talk, or you can just fill out the coaching inquiry form, which is also in the show notes, but it's better to just drop me a DM on Instagram because then we can have a chat first rather than potentially wasting your time and filling out a form just in case I can't help you. I'll be able to figure that out in the DMs. Finally, um, if you do have any questions that you'd like me to answer on one of the podcasts, then again, just drop me a DM with that question. Uh, obviously I can't answer everyone's questions. I pick a handful and then I'll I'll do some Q and A's then because I always get uh, good reviews and for some reason a lot of people tend to listen uh, to these Q and A's so fantastic all right ladies and gents over and out you enjoy the rest of your week thanks for listening and please if you like this episode share it with a friend or a family member someone you think would benefit from it or give it a share on your Instagram story or whatever or on your social media over and out thanks again.